0: Guy. looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, 204 Skate Shop, and Throttle Syndicate make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, as well as Fox Racing Canada. JC Seitz and Danica White over at Fox Racing Canada would love for you to go through the catalogue. got a brand new boot coming out uh, next week. Go check that stuff out. Go through the catalogue online, then go to your local dealer and get fitted on or off the track, you know you'll be looking good and protected head to toe when it comes to outfitting yourself with Fox Racing Canada apparel. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, a very special guest, someone who I've been looking forward to talking to for a number of weeks now. I really appreciate him coming on the show. He's the big boss with the hot sauce over at World Supercross Championship, Adam Bailey. Adam, how's it going?
1: Awesome, Brad. Thanks for making the time, and I uh, appreciate the pump up in the intro. Hey,
0: man! Absolutely, we got to get this thing cooking. It. We are only one month away from gate drop. If you haven't already gotten your tickets to go to Cardiff, you need to absolutely do that, my friend. Like with the calendar turning over to September, I gotta feel like even for you guys, it's it's feeling very real. Especially because you're actually in the future right now. It's September second where you are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, the good news is that the world's not going to end on September second. I can tell you that. It's, uh, that's, that's one thing I can tell you, being, being in front of time. But now you're right. It's, uh, things are getting really real. I mean, our team has been, I mean, working incredibly, incredibly hard. I mean, huge hats off to them. But the reality was, you know, the reality is, I should say, kicking off this World Supercross Championship season this year was always going to be a huge stretch. And it's not really something that we thought was a, a great idea although we thought it was necessary to uh, build some momentum, you know, showcase, you know, our product and what we can do, how we see Supercross being, test some of our kind of broadcast innovations, build our relationship with the teams, get, you know, I guess get the the systems in place and the motor running on the whole championship is the purpose for doing this year's kind of pilot season. But, you know, it means that our team's working ridiculously hard to, to you know, prepare for Cardiff on October 8th. Um, but anyway, it, it's happening. It's coming together. It's going to be a fantastic event. It's all taking shape. But um, but there's a huge amount of work going on in the background. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely, it is. It's no small undertaking. And you've been in in, in this from the absolute inception. Uh, you as well as uh, Ryan Sanderson working basically uh, around the clock. Uh, sometimes even in the future to to work on this. Um, so. What what was that first brainstorming situation like? Obviously, you guys have a lot of experience working with uh, the Australian Supercross Series and uh, X Open, which has which was f- like an incredible event and uh, and garnered a ton of ex- uh, exposure. Right in that sort of sweet spot of when uh, the 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 world fan is is looking for some content. It's after uh, like it was after Motocross of Nations. Outdoor nationals here in the U.S. Uh, have, were wrapped up. Same thing with the Canadian nationals. Of course, everyone uh, is glued to the Canadian nationals nonstop. What was it like to uh, sort of start to uh, grab out a piece of paper and map out what this was going to look like?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, it's kind of been a, a project of ours for, I would say, since 2017, really, is when we oh. started, started. So in 20, 2015, we started the OzEx Open, um, Ryan and I, as you mentioned, in Sydney, um, and that was because Supercross in Australia had kind of been on a, a bit of a decline. The, the, there hadn't been any solid indoor stadium events um, or arena events for quite some time. I think about um, close to 10 years. And so, you know, we really felt that there was an opportunity there to bring back like, and we looked to like the Paris Bursae event, for example, in the US Open in, in Vegas that used to exist and thought, you know, if we brought something like that to Australia, we think it'd do really well. Um, and when we launched it, you know, thankfully it sold out really quickly within kind of 10 days. And, um, and for us, it sort of proved our theory that, you know, there is a a genuine, you know, passion for supercross in Australia still. So, um, fast forward to to 2019 and we'd grown that to, um, a Marvel stadium in Melbourne, which is the biggest indoor stadium in Melbourne. You know, we we had 35,000 people there, which is by far the largest supercross event Australia has ever seen. Um, and we had uh, another event in New Zealand which for the second year in a row in Auckland, New Zealand, so, which had done well too. So we kind of, you know, we, we proved to ourselves and we had felt since then that there's, a, there's a, a fan following and a thirst for Supercross, you know, at an international standard outside the US. And really the reality, and, and, and it had been going to Canada a little bit, um, and obviously there have been the odd. There is one-off European races, but there was never kind of an international series bringing it together. So we we did that in 2018 and 2019. We called it the FIM Oceania Championship. It's FIM sanctioned, and it just linked Australia and New Zealand. And our plan was to expand into Asia, particularly because motorcycle sales in Asia are obviously huge. Motorcycle sales in the US were on a, quite a big decline at the time. And uh, I mean, motorcycle sales in Indonesia alone are at 10 times what the U S does, for example. So you know, I don't mean motocross bikes necessarily, but, but motorcycles. So that still means tires, oil, you know, parts, Honda, Honda, Yamaha, all the, you know, the brands and motorcycles, two wheels, Uh, granted a lot of them are are lower priced ones in Indonesia. They sell around 9 million a year, which is, you know, the numbers are in um, eight to 900,000 in the U S. So to us, we sort of felt like there's an opportunity being missed. And that's just one region, you know, um, so we had wanted to, to do that since then. And we brought on a gentleman who's now a president named Tony Cochran who'd started the V8 supercars championship in Australia um, and, and eventually grew it. It's, it's kind of our version of NASCAR, you know, tin top racing in Australia. They, right. And he grew it to, um, to race in Austin, Texas, in Bahrain, in the middle East, um, in Abu Dhabi, in the middle East. Um, I think they did a race in, um, they did a race in Shanghai and, uh, and New Zealand and, and, we, saw, we, we approached him to come on as our chairman to help us grow Supercross internationally. And we started that process around that 2017 mark. Um, and, and again, just because we felt like there's a market for Supercross outside the US, you know, the US is, is, is a fantastic series, but, you know, there's definitely people around the world, millions of fans around the world that want to see these guys in person themselves. Um, and so, you know, we've been working on that and we've got quite quite close to events in Thailand, in Singapore, in Japan, um, right up until kind of 2020 when COVID hit and it put a huge handbrake on everything. Um, But thankfully, you know, now looking back, that kind of, you know, put, Feld under pressure also. And I believe, you know, and, and was a a bit of a reasoning, one of the reasons why they handed back the FIM championship world championship rights, um, which, which kind of left the door open for us. So when, when that announcement went out, or when I, I heard that that was coming, I reached out to, to Tony to say, "Hey, uh, you know, I think this is this is going to happen. You know, should we? You know, what should we do about this?" Basically, and um, and that kind of started the ball rolling, which and that was about sort of May last year that we started strategizing. What, how can we get these rights from the FIM? How do we, you know, what's the model look like? How do we finance this whole thing? And um, you know, by you know between kind of for that six months up until. Literally Christmas Eve, I believe, was when we last year was when we signed our agreement with FIM and, and also our our um, investor in Mabadala Capital to to uh, bring it all together, and it's been um, full steam ahead since.
0: Yeah, I hate to say, uh, thank thank goodness for for COVID because it certainly had uh, it's it's been detrimental for for some people, but it certainly did open the door for you guys and uh, and in another way also sort of maybe give you guys an extra, uh, maybe six months to a year of a lead time to sort of get your ducks in a row and execute, uh, this three round series. That's going to be a lot, like you said, almost like a pilot, uh, project, uh, to give people a taste, uh, and, and hopefully they'll have a hunger for more, uh, once it's been executed. Uh, like I said, we're only one month away from that. Uh, things are starting to take shape. Teams are being put in place. Athletes are being contacted and, uh, uh, Word is that uh, the J- uh, Justin Brayton JB Ten himself is in full uh, full prep for this. Same thing with none other than Chad Reed. Um, like the the buzz is really starting to come around for this.
1: Yeah, I like to think so. I mean, it's definitely. I think one thing we've known from the start is that is that riders are excited about racing internationally. They're excited about seeing the world. They're excited about what it could mean for them to be global athletes rather than you know, American funded athletes kind of thing. And and, um, and so the reception from them has always been positive. You know, Chad has been great since day one. So has um, JB, he's been great since day one. You know, for us to, um, for Ken Roxon, you know, to, to commit to race to racing this year was fantastic. He was very on board with the the concept, you know, which is to, you know, essentially take Supercross to the world and, and elevate it and, and, and make it a global sport. And, and that, you know, I don't think we've, there's, there's been no riders to my knowledge that have not wanted to be on board. Um, of course there's challenges, which we'll talk about, but the riders themselves really want to see this happen. They really want to race around the world. So I think that energized us too to, to, to keep pushing hard, knowing that, that, you know, this is what the riders want. And, and this is what is it, going to be a good thing for them as well. So the riders want to travel the world
0: and, uh, and race these series. You talk to a guy like, uh, Zach Osborne who uh, raced the 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 he raced in America won some championships also uh, raced over in Europe and if you talk to him about that time he, he the things he misses the most about that is being able to to travel and see the world and 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 have these different uh, different fan bases embrace him as well um, the the fans are excited to see the riders. Uh, what would be stopping a uh, like a, a a top flight rider who's currently on a US team from being able to uh, compete in the championship?
1: Only the the team themselves. You know, if they're contracted to to a US factory team, you know, funded by the manufacturers out of the US, um, then they're, they're they're standing in the way of, of them competing, which is which is disappointing. You know. Um, I think that I understand it when there's a direct conflict and that they might be contracted to outdoors, for example. Um but when there's no conflict and no clash in events such as this year, I find it um, you know, frustrating for those guys that they're being that they're being stopped. I mean, Triple Webb's a prime example, Justin Barsha's is a prime example, Jason Anderson's a prime example, um and uh and um and there's more, but you know, these are guys that were offered large sums of money to come and race uh chase sexton i should add to that too these are these riders that were offered great sums of money to come and race at the end of this year and that they wanted to and they're excited to and um and unfortunately it was stopped and and um you know it's just disappointing for those riders and it's disappointing for the fans
0: certainly especially with with world championship titles on the line uh and a manufacturer's title as well like if, if i'm if i'm honda uh global uh i want my my two fastest uh riders to be able to to, to race that series heck you could have all three if you want to throw uh, uh or four if you want to throw in the uh, the lawrences and in, into the mix um like it's it's curious to me as to why like uh like like honda usa Uh, Or HRC wouldn't want uh, a guy like Chase Sexton to line up for a world championship, give those sponsors like Yoshimura and Dunlop and everybody else uh, a little bit more screen time, especially when you as well as I know, these guys don't really take a break. Uh, They maybe take two weeks at the end of the season uh like go go to somewhere warm and then it's supercross testing time full-on boot camp starts in november and then uh anaheim one is is knocking on the door right after the new year um these guys basically race all year round regardless of what uh what what events are on the schedule
1: yeah exactly And, and you know i mean they should be able to do what they want to do right like i you know i mean um they're young young guys you know, they're, they've got a very short window, you know, their careers are very, very short and their careers are too short. In my opinion, you know, I think they get forced out at an early age because of things like this, because they don't have freedom to, to do what they want to do and enjoy the sport and enjoy travel. And, you know, they get um, to, to do 30, 30, races in one country through a year is, is hard work. It's really hard work. So, you know what we're what we're offering and proposing is the opportunity to see the world and make good money and have a good time and um and become a, a globally recognised athlete. and you know i you know I, as a fan of the sport, I can't see any any good reason, any justifiable reason to stop that. Um, you know but I also understand that we've got to prove ourselves, and that's what we're going to do, and we'll 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 have great events and great crowds and great television and all those things that that uh, you know that um, a brand you know sees value in um to support in the future and um and you know i can only hope that um that common sense prevails you know in the in the near future
0: for sure, and certainly, uh, like you said, the, the the concept has proved itself time and time again with uh, with X having uh, been sold out a number of times, and just the the notoriety, and, and literally having uh, some of the, uh, the the North American media coming over there for weeks at a time to to be able to cover it. Uh, I think that there's going to be something similar going on with uh, with Cardiff as well as uh, Melbourne, which is the uh, which is the second round, um, and I'm st- I'm still got my eyes peeled for that third round announcement announcement uh where when when should people sort of uh start to keep their ear to the ground as to when uh, that might get announced
1: i think in in the next week to 10 days uh okay. it's a southeast asian um, location and we've been working hard on it but um you know i think one thing for us is and the reason why it hasn't been announced is you know we want to make sure that if we're going to do anything be this year or next year um it's going to be amazing amazing for the riders amazing for the teams amazing for the industry um, and anything short of that we won't do, so um, you know for us, we want to make sure you know it's it's quite a we're doing a lengthy due diligence process i think you i guess you'd call it where we're spending a lot of time and i'm heading um, I'm heading overseas next week to to investigate venues and speak with promoters and and um, contractors, et cetera to make sure that you know this third and final event for this year is, uh, is going to be up to, to par and better than anything that we've ever seen before. So, and if if not, then we wouldn't do it. So, you know, that's why we've been cautious. And as I said at the very start, this year was always going to be a, it was always going to be a stretch. You know, we wanted to go to five events at one stage, but then we sort of started talking to each other and talking to the teams and talking to athletes. And we're like, that's that's going to be too much, you know? um right. the reality of it is, a lot of riders are still contracted in the US. They so will have done Supercross, then Motocross, and then, you know, to try and throw another five events at the end is too much. So we kind of listened to them and said, well, what do we need to do to, you know, prove the concept to, to, like I said, at the very start, kind of run ourselves in, run the, you know, to use like a motorbike analogy, run the bike in, run ourselves in, get out, get, you know, find where the holes are, find where the issues are. And, and ready to come out swinging in 2023. And really we, we came up with it. There isn't a number of events. It doesn't, you know, if it was one, if it was two, if it was, if it was three or four, it's just uh, let's do whatever we're going to do right and make sure it's awesome and, um, and you know, use it as a springboard for next year. And that, that's really what we're focused on as opposed to the number of events.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, what, what has been uh, what's uh, what's ticket sales looking like for Cardiff? Are we uh, are we standing room only at this point or what's the deal?
1: Uh, i mean it's a huge stadium it 's a seventy thousand person stadium so it, it won 't sell out i mean although although there will be um the lower bowl is not being used just due to safety it 's got kind of a kind of a flat lower seating bowl unlike okay. the, a lot of the baseball stadiums in the u s that are that are raised above the playing surface, which means um you know you 've got a protective wall there in this case it's quite low down so um, we we won 't use that that kind of seating bowl just for just for safety um, and we 'll use it for signage instead but you know, it's going well. I think in comparison to other events and other things that have been in the region, the UK has been experiencing a pretty tough time. Um, you know, if you watch the the news over there, um, economically it's not in a good place, um, and it's bouncing back from COVID. So I, we're really happy with how we're traveling there, and um, and I think we've we kind of, you know, showing. Um, I guess that there is a great demand for Supercross and showing that, um, you know, as we expected, the UK is a great location for us. We did do a, a lot of research before kind of deciding on that area um, or any of the regions that we, we did quite comprehensive research to kind of, you know, understand where the fans are. And and, um, and that's definitely, definitely one of the, the key locations. So... It's going well. I mean, you know, we we always want more and you always want to improve and we've got to continue to improve improve ourselves and improve, you know, the concept and, again, why why this pilot season is so important is to, you know, take this thing to new regions and, and show people how amazing Supercross really is.
0: When you're doing the research for uh, where, this, where the hunger is for this product, this uh, world supercross, uh, was there any particular uh, country or region that's kind of surprised you of, of uh, ha- having so much interest in wanting to take in uh, uh, an event like this? Uh, like a, a place like uh, uh, Rio, Brazil uh, is the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. I think Brazil was the biggest surprise for me. Um, like the highest ranking, obviously, were the US, France, um, Australia. Well, before Australia, even Brazil, you know, um, Canada. And, and the UK. So those are, those are, uh, you know, and, and Canada is right up there too. So, you know, but Canada didn't surprise me, but Brazil certainly did. You know, the fact, the fact that, you know, it ranked so highly was a shock. Um, and uh, and so that probably was the biggest, was the biggest surprise for me that that there's definitely a. A, um, a huge fan base for Supercross in Brazil that, that we want to get to.
0: How encouraging is it for you guys uh, running the series to see guys like Josh Grant, Josh Hill, Chad Reed literally come out of retirement to race this series? Like you said, uh, a lot of these uh, guys, their their careers are shorter than they need to be. Um, I, I think there's a lot of reasons uh, a, a guy like Josh Grant more than likely should probably still be racing professionally uh he certainly still has the fitness still has the the want to to ride his motorcycle uh that's got to be encouraging to see guys like him uh come out and uh and show up for the fans
1: yeah it absolutely is i think it again it it pr- kind of proves the point that these guys are getting you know in the current system they're getting burnt out too early because the current system isn't sustainable for a young man to do, you know, late into their 20s, it starts to get really, really old. And that's because, you know, particularly in the US, kids have been groomed since, you know, five or six years of age to be, you know, Loretta Lynn's champions year after year to then, you know, turn pro, then, you know, be Supercross champions, be outdoor motocross champions, and it's 30-odd races a year. And, you know, by the time they're in their mid-20s, you know, they're starting to get pretty fed up of it i think and and that's a sad thing because they end up you know if you, you took a um you know there's been a few riders i mean a james stewart or or a um or a brian villopoto for example even uh, you know um Dungy, to a lesser extent but it's like they they hate motorcycles after a point in time they get to a point and now they hate it. it you know and that's not that's not good for anyone that's sad i think that's that's unfair like these kids are being you know i've spoken to to rider agents who say you know in their opinion it's borderline child abuse <laughs> you know <laughs> these kids are sort of put into this pressure cooker for so long and then and it's so tough and then there's, the sport supercross and motocross and particularly motocross is so physically taxing you know to do, to do what they do particularly in the heat of summer in the US doing you know 35 minute motos on the tracks that they do at the speed that they do is just incredibly taxing and um and you know it gets to a point in time where those those guys are getting tired, and then they they kind of set up. Whereas I think supercross is you know it's less taxing. It's less taxing physically, but also it's less taxing in a sense that I mean financially, the 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 riders are well, um, the sport generates more revenue in supercross. So it's, that's just a fact. It's a commercially more attractive property for brands, and, um, you know, to support riders to be a part of. Right. But then you know for rider for riders, it's less taxing because you know the style of racing. But also, it's just a more enjoyable experience. They're racing at night in big stadiums, you know, comfortable in cities and staying in nice hotel rooms and all those things, you know, that make them feel like actual superstars, like they are. Supercross gives gives you know gives that in a way that motocross just just can't by nature. So, you know, I think that what we're seeing, you know, we're seeing that because these riders are excited to ride again, and and rather than seeing it as you know a bunch of retirees coming back to racing, I think it's. I would like to flip it the other way and go. You've got a bunch of superstar athletes that are motivated to race again that, that shouldn't have stopped as, as soon as they did, you know. And I think that you know, it's a real positive thing, and it's a positive for the fans around the world to actually get to see these guys that may never have before.
0: Certainly, like there, there are uh, fans all over the world that have not seen uh, Chad Reed. Lord knows he hasn't raced in Cardiff before. Probably at uh, probably raced in England at some point at uh, GP, but um, I, like as far as I just sort of springboard off your point is uh, motocross and supercross in, in the States or in North America is a bit of a, a meat grinder. Like you get these kids who start at the age of four years old. Uh, they're based, they're pulled out of school by age 10. They, they race their, 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 their butts off the enti- their entire youth. And then like you say, take a kid like a, um, like a, Jalek Swole, who's had a he's had a tough couple of years here, and like he he may be on the outside looking in to a sport that he's dedicated his entire life to, in because of a bad eighteen months, which is pretty crazy to think of.
1: Yeah, totally. It, it, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy, you know, and that that's the thing, and you you know, meat grinder is the right way to put it, and and um, you know, I think. It's okay to a point in time, and and some riders are, you know, they'll that's what they're used to, and that's you know what they aspire to do. Um, and and we're not you know opposed to that, but we are wanting to give riders an option to say, you know, if you want to be a professional Supercross athlete, you know, um, you can race in the US, and then you can race the World Supercross Championship. Um, and that's a that's an option for you now. And that and that's really you know that's all we want to do. We don't want to, you know talk bad on any other series or, or, you know, career choices for anyone, but that, that's what we're here to do is to, to give an option for these riders to become international athletes and race supercross all year round. Well, there
0: you go. Last thing I have for you before I let you go, cause I know you've uh, you're a busy guy and you're uh, you're short on time. Um, but uh, take me through what you would envision uh, my experience to be. Uh, I walk through the gates at either Melbourne or Cardiff. I, I'm a, I'm a newer fan within the sport. Um, because at a, at, a, at a World Supercross event, it seems to me when I go through the website and, and I look into basically everything you guys are all about, it's going to be amazing to see the racing and everything on top of that. But there's going to be other things going on outside of just the sport itself. There's going to be freestyle. There's going to be music. It's going to be uh, an event more than just a motocross or supercross race, uh, which is very similar to, say, like the, the way the NFL currently report approaches football, where it's it's an all-encompassing, like you're coming home for the whole day, and there's also a motocross race going on. That's the biggest thing, uh, but uh, there's other things to grab your attention. And even if you only watch five minutes of football, you're gonna have a good time uh, at the the stadium. if my am I in the the right jurisdiction there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the key. And if we're going to grow the sport and we're going to introduce new fans and make, you know, new fans of Supercross around the world, it absolutely has to be an all-encompassing, you know, 360-degree entertainment experience. And that's what we're wanting to build. You know, I think traditionally Supercross, if you're a fan of Supercross, you know, the races are cool and you go and watch them and, you know, uh, and you know who's who, so you're, you're into it. But if you're a fringe fan or someone that doesn't really get it, you can get lost and you don't really know what's happening. And then there's downtime in between, and you're kind of like, "What's happening next?" You know. And we, and um, whereas in ours, I think the difference is, is that um, you know we want to make make it an entertainment experience from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave. And and our events are very much a minute by minute entertainment spa- uh, package, a spectacle. You know, where. You know, the, the, you know, there's obviously audiovisual, there's LED signage, in, all encompassing, him with um, with live music, DJs. We've got live music acts. You know, in, um, in the UK, we've got uh, AJ Tracy, who's, a, who's one of the biggest rappers in the UK, performing um, in the intermission. You know, when there's a downtime and, and the riders are preparing for the, the main event. So, you know, um, it really the the difference for us is how do you, how do you um, captivate an audience from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave, regardless of them being a Supercross fan or not, and that's the that's the challenge that we have, um, and and that's you know I'm really confident that we will do, and we have proven that in our events before. We've had, you know, fifty-year-old women that are there because their executive husband brought them, and you know, and they had to you know, finish the event and say, that was amazing. Like, these guys are crazy. I can't believe it. That was, you know, that that for us proves that it can be done. And you can, you can convert new fans simply by providing an entertainment package, um, you know, that, that grabs them, whether they're into Supercross or not. And, and then, you know, we aim them to fall in love with Supercross as a sport at the same time. Uh, and so that's the goal.
0: WSX Championship on Instagram, all the socials. Go over to the website as well to find out more information. Adam, uh, last thing I have for you is: is there any chance we see the 41 machine racing at uh, at Melbourne? I think may- maybe you might have to dust off the boots and uh, and so showed JB the fast way around the track for uh, uh, for a super pole. Oh my God! There
1: is absolutely no way. I can, I can tell you that there's. I've, I'm so appreciative of what they do. I wouldn't even even pretend to myself that I could get around the track confidently for a lap because I just couldn't these days, you know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 100% excited to be there as a fan, cheer those guys on. I, you know, I mean, what I love about Supercross and what I love about the format that we've created at World Supercross Championship is, I really don't know what the result's going to be. I think that's exciting. I think that's exciting for fans. And so I, you know, I'm I'm uh, going to be on the edge of my seat just like everyone else to see um, to see who's going to get the job done. They'll
0: sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Adam Bailey here on the Big MX (laughs) Radio Podcast. Adam, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for the time.
1: Thank you, Brad. Really appreciate it, mate.
0: And there you have it. My interview with Adam Bailey from World Supercross Championship Really want to thank him once again for coming on the podcast. That was amazing uh, to be able to talk to him and uh, just see his vision for Supercross in the future. Taking this thing on a world tour uh, that will allow fans all over the world to see their favorite racers. Believe it or not. Uh, we're in our little bubble over here in uh, North America. Most of my listeners are in North America. I do have some Australian listeners uh, as well, and some European listeners, and uh, there that's an underserved market. Yeah, there's, there's some local Supercrosses that they get to go to, uh, and they can always travel over to the U.S., um, but being able to have the top flight supercross athletes in the, in your backyard is something that, uh, American fans have been able to uh, enjoy for a really long time and, uh, just hasn't been as accessible to an international audience somewhere like a place like Brazil. Maybe you're listening in Brazil right now. Um, and, and you've been wanting to, uh, to see a race in person, but you haven't been able to come to the States. You're going to get that opportunity in the coming years. And that's a really exciting thing. And, uh, hats off to Adam and, uh, as well as uh, his entire team um, and Ryan Sanderson for uh, being able to, to, to take on this challenge. And uh, so far, I think they're being really successful with it. I hope it's a series that uh, is successful for many, many years to come. A uh, few things that I wanted to talk about before I hang up this podcast. This podcast is being released September 2nd, 2022. Um, and uh, so tomorrow, we're going to find out, uh, the who's going to win maybe one of the most exciting, compelling, and nail-biting championships in the 450 class uh, that we have ever seen. Um, and it comes down to just two guys, two motos, and uh, one point separates them coming into it. It's the tightest margin that we've seen in uh, t- over 25 years in AMA history. Uh, both these guys have a ton of uh, motos uh, under their belts. Uh, I think Eli has a slight advantage in laps led, but uh, honestly, it's um, it's it's just it's come down to one uh, one race. Uh, two motos. They will be shortening the motos 25 minutes plus two, which should pull about three laps off the total time for those races. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it really is uh, when it comes to not only being able to push the entire moto, but also the recovery time. It sounds like they're also going to give these guys about a 30-minute intermission break between, um, which doesn't change anything for me because I will be watching the races uh, in archive form, either on YouTube or uh, through the subscription that I had purchased. Um, I, I rarely get to watch the races uh, live um as i'm often trying to ride my motorcycle on saturday afternoons uh and i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before uh watching the races live Uh, live streaming, really not a really big problem for me, or for a lot of people who uh, are enthusiasts of the sport, because so many uh, enthusiasts of motocross are participants, and a Saturday afternoon uh, unless it's raining cats and dogs outside, uh, you'd probably rather be on your motorcycle than watching people doing it, it's uh, obviously, it's it's lots of fun to watch the the, uh, supercross races and outdoor motocross it's fantastic to see what those guys are able to make happen, but uh, if you're asking me I'd rather be getting some throttle therapy myself than uh, watching some guys uh, make it look easy. You can always flip that on either first thing Sunday morning or uh, to close out the night on Saturday when you're licking your wounds from uh, from those long motos in the dust. So before we get to the 450 class, uh, and we already talked about that a little bit, or I, at least I did, um, let's talk a little bit about the 250 class uh, coming up tomorrow. Uh, this weekend, uh, tomorrow when you're listening to this, Saturday the 3rd of September, uh, more than likely, um, actually very, very quite likely, will be the last time that we see Jet Lawrence racing a 250F, which, uh, in, in outdoors. And that's really crazy to think of is how quickly that chapter has opened and then closed it feels like just yesterday uh this fresh-faced kid that no one had ever seen uh raced a couple of nationals at the at the final uh, few rounds of i guess that was the 2019 championship um uh, in fact pulling off at the end of i think it was I think it was uh, Ironman, uh, a, a race that he just won, um, pulling off because he didn't know if he was uh, getting too many points or something along those lines, uh, miscommunication between him and his mechanic. He pulls off uh, and, and that literally feels like just yesterday that we were we were talking about that uh, and his emergence into the sport and, and like this young kid that was, was doing so well so quickly. And um, just as quickly, he's closing the door on uh, a, a three-year campaign of racing outdoors. Uh, of course, um, his, his last champion, like the, his first his rookie year, uh, that, um, that championship must have gone to Dylan Ferrandes uh goes on to win the 2020 t- title, if I'm not mistaken, um, which uh, which opens the door for uh, he he leaves that following year, opening the door for Jet Lawrence to go uh, to go to battle last year with uh, not only uh, Jeremy Martin but also uh, Justin Cooper, and then this year, honestly. Uh, aside from a couple of nationals and uh, a few motos in, in the the dog days of the summer, where Jet wasn't uh, on his absolute a game, it was uh, the Jet Lawrence show this uh, this season. It's uh, he's been out front styling uh, and honestly making it look pretty easy. He uh, gets into his pace in the first five minutes, put down puts down some hard laps, and finds himself in the lead just ahead of uh, now uh, the the Fox Racing pilot of. Joe Shimoda, who has taken a huge step forward. Uh, the Japanese product uh, has really impressed me outdoors this year. Um, for a kid who uh, I thought would probably be more of a Supercross specialist, uh, he's completely flipped the script on that, having a lackluster uh, Supercross season, followed by a very, very impressive uh outdoor season this year especially the fact that he uh, and it's been mentioned on the on the the broadcast a number of times he had to try out for this team he was not just an automatic sign him up uh coming off of geico honda uh let's let's give the kid a ride he had to go earn it and he did exactly that not only on that day but he ha- also did this summer um winning uh multiple nationals uh winning motos winning second motos which is always impressive to me. If you've got the speed, the stamina, and the strength to put in motos late in the day, uh, when the tracks get rough, and uh, that's really when you start to see uh, the training coming out. And uh, I think that is a huge um, tip of the cap to Nick Way, his uh, his trainer, and on and off the bike trainer, uh, who's certainly uh, brought out a, uh, something special in Joe. And um, between him and the Lawrences, For, as far as I know, the very first time in AMA motocross history in the 125-250F class uh, or motocross lights for, I think it was two years back in 2007-2008, that there will not be an American in the top three. In the point standings, uh, of course, this championship has been won by a ton of Americans over the years. In fact, uh, there's actually very few uh, imports that have ended up winning the championship. Um, But to not have a single American on the podium is quite wild. and, uh, and, and maybe a little bit of a, a sign of the times, like uh, having the Lawrence brothers come over. Uh, Shimoda's been strong, of course. He's uh, about as American as uh, just about anybody. He's, he's been over here since he was very young, um, coming over, uh, living in Southern California. Uh, in fact, I believe uh, doing a lot of his riding at, uh, at Milestone MX, because uh, he wasn't lo- was, was, lo- was located pretty close to there but, uh, hats off to Joe, hats off to, uh, Hunter, and honestly, that's maybe the most compelling thing coming out of the 250 class, aside from Hayden Deegan, uh, in this last round, um, seven points separate the, the, the battle for second place, uh, so basically it's going to come down to, uh, who beats who, uh, obviously Jet, or, uh, Joe has a seven-point cushion, um, which which honestly gives gives him a pretty good leg up. Uh, you don't see huge swings in motos uh, in uh, at the best of days with these guys, uh, given the fact that they're they've been on the podium almost every weekend. Uh, obviously, the one weekend that is very glaring to me would be I think that was the, either it was Unadilla or Bud's Creek, where Hunter Lawrence ended up uh, in the eight-nine position in the two motos, and that's just not going to get it done to to be uh, as consistent as joe has been throughout the summer uh i i actually expect joe to win this race uh i think he's extremely fast the fox raceway he spends a lot of time there i think there's uh, a lot of pressure for him to uh, close out the season and i think he's gonna he's gonna nab that obviously uh jet lawrence uh basically needs to circulate the track in order to uh, wrap up the championship and the only other guy who uh is is likely to uh Uh, put a big pressure on him would be either hunter lawrence or uh, justin cooper who rightfully so justin cooper has a huge chip on his shoulder going into the final rounds um a lot of uh, people uh doubting him and doubting his abilities to be on uh the uh, more across the nation's team and then once since he's been named uh he's he's been sick. He there's been a lot of people saying he should be switched out for Christian Craig. I still don't think that's the 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 right move to be completely honest. Uh to to those who think that Christian Craig should be on that bike. I ask them to show them show me uh his lights out speed outdoors on a two fifty F uh and Aside from a few nationals in, I believe, 2016 on a 250F with Geico, uh, frankly, they're not there. He's always been more of a 450 guy outdoors. Uh, And Redbud is a deep track that requires... Uh, someone who's putting a lot of time on a 250f and that's justin cooper um if if you wanted to swap out uh, justin cooper with anybody i would say rj hampshire but uh, if you're talking about consistency and being able to uh, just put in good motos i like justin cooper over um RJ Hampshire, but either way, I'm Canadian and I think that uh, the GDR Honda backed uh, Fox racing product of uh, Manitoba here, Ryder McNabb, is the guy that I'm going to be lining the fences for when we show up to Buchanan, Michigan for the Motocross of Nations. Um, 450 class, uh, actually, before we get to the 450 class, we got to talk about Hayden Deegan. Um, Danger Boy had himself a pro debut. The the kid uh, had. Uh, great speed in qualifying. Uh, he looks good on a bike. He's got great style. You can you can tell uh, how small of an athlete he is, though, at this time. And. I think that kind of uh, that kind of showed throughout the day. Um, tried to jump something that he probably should, didn't need to be jumping late in that race. Clips it, goes over the bars. Some someone asked me if the bar, if the bike had locked up at that time. I'm thinking that big plume of smoke was the fact that the bar bike came down so hard on the radiator, basically it just exploded the damn thing. Um, and uh, I can't even imagine like. Getting up from that and then racing an hour and 15 minutes later is one small feat or one one feat. And then hats off to uh, to Deegan for for doing exactly that, but uh, also a slow clap for his mechanic, who I would imagine did a full fire drill on that bike. Um, it wasn't uh, it was the it was the factory motor but it wasn't the factory suspension i would imagine that just about everything got swapped uh between motos we're talking bars subframe exhaust system uh plastics uh, i assume you probably had an extra set of plastics with the graphics already installed which is just w- that's what those guys do the the uh, part of the build p- portion of uh, each day is they're, they're going to have a couple of sets of graphics or a, set, a couple of sets of plastics already done up for those guys especially fenders and stuff because that's team stuff uh they don't have uh personalization on the fenders and whatnot basically one fender can go from one guy's bike to the next so they have a few of those queued up uh, but either way, like the, for that bike to be brand new, rolling to the line uh, an hour and 15 minutes later, uh, I don't know about you, but I, it takes me a whole lot longer than that to uh, do all of my bike maintenance and I'm not doing nearly as much stuff to um, my bike to get it ready. Uh, Speaking of getting my bikes ready, I did race this past weekend. Thank you for asking. Uh, I did quite well in the Plus 25B class. I ended up winning both motos, uh, which is the second time I've ever gone 1-1 on the day, Uh, but uh, it was really special to me to be able to do so at the first track that I ever raced at grunthal centennial raceway is a track that i raced at as a kid uh still race uh at, as a older kid and um yeah it might have been the plus 25 b class but uh i had been off the been off uh racing for quite some time finally getting back to it and it felt good to uh, grab a w on that and i'm looking at the trophy sitting on my uh my shelf right now uh, 450 class, uh, this is important. This is about as big as it's ever gotten for outdoor motocross and good for this series. Honestly, for all, uh, like for all the people who, uh, like motocross has gone the way of the dodo bird. Uh, it's it's not as uh like it, it's not as prestigious as it once was. No, it's just as prestigious as it's always been. It's the gnarliest championship, uh, in motocross. Period. I think that uh, the depth of field, um, is is maybe. Uh, what really makes the championship as, as, as hard as it is, you have so many top flight athletes in this class. And, uh, and, and like all years, um, it usually comes down to two guys. Uh, but usually two guys battling for the last couple of rounds and, uh, and someone trying to make it uh, keep it interesting. But these two guys, Chase Sexton and Eli Tomac, have put on an absolute show all year long. They've they've won motos. They've won overalls. They've swapped leads. They've uh, they've crashed together completely by themselves. Uh, with no like with both their engines stopped at Washougal. Um, they've hunted each other down. Uh, they've uh, they've outfoxed each other in basically every racing scenario you can think of. Coming to into the last round at a, at a track they've both won at in the last calendar year. Um, it's uh it, it's mono a mono. it's one point separates the two of them and i think that's uh the the biggest thing that exists between those guys is that single point that if they swap out the motos um hand the championship and all the glory to Eli tomac his first year and only outdoor season on uh, monster racing uh, monster star racing Yamaha is uh, will, will have been a successful one and uh, and hats off to the guy uh, he gets to ride off into the sunset one last Supercross or one last uh, outdoor season or supercross season and uh, that guy I'll call it a career uh, aside from probably racing some world supercross events just to pat his wallet as well. Um, and, um, yeah, like just, I think that, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Um, both guys have the ability and the talent and the, uh, uh, the strength to be able to win both motos. Um, and if Chase is able to do that, hats off to the guy. He's, he's, he's earned that championship to the nth degree. He goes down late, last lap uh, at uh, Thunder Valley gives up a three point difference to uh, for that particular moto if he had had those three points he's leading this series if um, if he had not uh, jumped on a yellow flag at that race Uh, He would have he would then again have another another point. He'd have a three point lead going into this series. And of course, you can't really say that ifs and buts, this, that and anything. But regardless, those four points are absolutely huge uh, when it comes to this championship. And that's really what it might come down to. Uh, Eli has the ability to win both these motos. So does Chase. Um, do they swap, uh, mo- Like, I don't think anybody gets in their way. I don't think anyone wants anything to do with either one of these guys. The only thing they can let the air out of this balloon is if one of them happens to have, uh, an absolutely dreadful start. I mean, being on the ground on the first lap, um, that is going to, to really, uh, uh, let the air out of this thing. But, uh, I hope it comes down to the last lap. I hope that, uh, Eli wins the first moto um or maybe Chase wins the first moto uh gets gets up by 2 points and uh and it's all on Tomac to go out there and, uh, and win the moto, get those three points back and, uh, and ride off into the sunset. I hope it comes down to the last lap and, uh, I hope that you guys enjoy it. And I hope you guys, uh, use that to inspire you to want to ride your motorcycle and, uh, go get some throttle therapy. Like I will be this weekend, both Saturday and Sunday going to vet fest down in Zoda, uh, raceway. I don't know if it has a name for it. I think it's just Zoda, but either way, um, Looking forward to that. Riding on Saturday. going to uh, uh, probably need a new air filter after that because that place is basically sand. Uh, and then um, and then going out to the hard pack uh, dreamland that is uh, Aaron Weeb's track on Sunday. I'll be out there riding. Hope you are too. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, and if you're listening, um, honestly, like if you're listening right now, I would appreciate if you were to direct message me uh, on Instagram at big mx radio uh and let me know where you're listening from uh that would be uh, a a really interesting for me to find out, uh, and looking forward to, uh, getting some messages from, uh, some, some of my listeners it would be really interesting to find that out. Uh, so for JC Sites and Danika White over at Fox Racing Canada, shout out to those guys. They've got some really exciting things coming down the pipe. The 2023 stuff looks amazing and you're going to look amazing in it. Uh, they've got amazing stuff for, uh, uh, on or off the track. Uh, I absolutely love all of my Fox stuff. Um, whether it's the hoodies, the flannels, the motocross gear, the boots, the helmet. I uh, recently got a V2 helmet, and I absolutely love it. Uh, looking forward to uh, uh, getting a, a V3 when I can uh, get my uh, can I save up some money for that as well. Um, but either way, um, you're going to love the way you look. You're going to love the way you feel uh, when you're protected by Fox Racing Canada products. So uh, have yourselves a, good, a great one, guys. And as always, thanks for listening.